Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. Championship Sunday. On the horizon, of course, the NFC Championship game at 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon. San Francisco at Philadelphia. The nightcap, Cincinnati and Kansas City. And my goodness, the war of words that are going on between those two organizations and some mayors are getting involved. Good grief. We'll get into that in just a moment. As always, Jacksonville, we got a great guest lineup for you tonight. We'll actually go to Cincinnati, Ohio, coming up in about 40 minutes or so. Jake Lizko, Locked on Bengals podcast. He is the host of that podcast. We'll get the Cincinnati perspective on this AFC championship game. Why has Cincinnati been so successful against Kansas City? Why have they seemingly figured out the Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey puzzle, if you will. So Jake Lizko of the Locked On Bengals podcast coming up in about 40 minutes. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Mark Long of the Associated Press. As again, we will talk Jaguars. It's what we do here on Hacker After Dark. Look ahead to the postseason. Take a brief look back at the season that was. Mark has some interesting thoughts, too, about some of the potential Jaguar free agents, whether it's Evan Ingram whether it's Jawan Taylor, Arden Key, guys of that sort. So Mark Long of the AP, Jake Lisko, Locked on Bengals. That's an hour number one. An hour number two, Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. Again, more looking ahead to the off se- or to the offseason free agency, the draft. But with Brian, I want to do kind of more Trevor Lawrence, Doug Peterson, kind of what this season has meant to the organization, to the city. Of course, Brian has worked with the Jaguars ever since the doors opened back in 1995, now with Jaguars.com. And then at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, do you realize, I would imagine some of you do, probably most of you don't, the NBA season is almost 50 games old already. We are well past the halfway point of the NBA regular season. All-star break on the horizon, trade deadline not too far away. Again, more than halfway home, Zay Hanshu of NBC Sports Edge covering the National Basketball Association. He's one of our NBA guys here on Hacker After Dark, and we will talk with him at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. So we got a lot to do. We're glad you're with us. As always, here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night. And Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, so championship Sunday. Philadelphia hosting San Francisco. Cincinnati going to Kansas City. 
Not sure if it's going to be like this for everybody else, but I'm curious here in Jacksonville. Because the Jaguars were so close, because you could almost taste the AFC Championship game last week before Kansas City ripped it away from you, is it going to be hard to watch particularly the AFC Championship game? If you're a Jaguar fan, are you not going to watch the game? Too painful, whatever verbiage you want to use? Hit me up on the text line, designed by Lifetime Enclosures at 641-1010. Have you thought about that at all? How painful it'll be to watch Championship Sunday, knowing how close the Jaguars were to it, and knowing the Jaguars are not a part of it. I think it's going to be tough. <laughs> Look, it'll be tough. There's no question. Particularly if Cincinnati goes in there and runs rough shot over Kansas City. I think it'll be very tough under those circumstances. If Cincinnati goes in there and runs rough shot over Kansas City. As far as the NFC championship game, let me give you my thoughts. Everybody seems to continue to doubt Philadelphia, and Philadelphia just continuously puts 30 or 40 points on the board. Philadelphia is the best team in the NFC. San Francisco's got a rookie quarterback going in there in his first career playoff road game, going into that environment in the NFC championship game against that defense. Do you realize the Philadelphia Eagles defense, all four starting defensive linemen, had double-digit sacks. That's insane. I think they had 70 sacks on the year. 70. I like Philadelphia to win the game. I'm not doubting them. San Francisco's good. <coughs> San Francisco's got a lot of talent. With Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey, the defense with Bosa and... All the guys, Warner, I mean, they got a lot of players, so I'm not doubting them at all. But I just think Philadelphia is going to be too much, so give me the Eagles. When it comes to the Bengals and the Chiefs, and again, we're going to go to Cincinnati in about a half an hour. Jake Lizko of the Locked on Bengals podcast. The back and forth between these two teams has been absolutely hilarious. From the Burrowhead remark by some Bengal players to now politicians getting involved. Listen to what the Cincinnati mayor, the Cincinnati mayor, said earlier today. Good afternoon, Cincinnati. I have a proclamation from the desk of the mayor. Be it proclaimed, whereas the Cincinnati Bengals are headed to Burrowhead Stadium for their second consecutive AFC championship game. Whereas at last year's game, the Bengals scored more points than the Chiefs, resulting in a Bengals victory and a Chiefs loss. Whereas Joseph Lee Burrow, who's 3-0 against Mahomes, has been asked by officials to take a paternity test to confirming whether or not he's his father. Whereas all season long, Cincinnati has been on a path of destiny, fighting it out to overcome anyone who stands between them and a Super Bowl win. And whereas Kansas City is named after its neighboring state, which is, you know, just kind of weird. Now, therefore, I, Aftab Pureval, mayor of the city of Cincinnati, do hereby proclaim January 29th, 2023, as they got to play us day in Cincinnati. Thank you. 
That was released on social media earlier today, and that's not a joke. That is the mayor of Cincinnati, Aftab Piraval. Joe Burrow has been asked to take a paternity test to see if he's Patrick Mahomes' father? Whoa! Look, I'm all for a, a little uh, trash talk, but that's going to be uh, something if Kansas City were to win this game. The Kansas City folks did not take that lightly in the last couple of hours. They've put some things out on social media. The mayor of Kansas City basically said, I'm not going to respond to that childish stuff. We'll see you Sunday. I mean, the mayors are going at it here. I kind of love it. The Bengal players, look, I'm sure they don't mind their mayor doing that. The Bengal players are the ones calling Arrowhead, Burrowhead. Look, I don't think we see enough of this in the NFL. You, you know, look, Jeff Fisher did it to us. So it wasn't funny, and we still don't think it's funny 23, 24 years later. Well, when he said Altel Stadium was the Titans' third home field, it's a shot. And, and, and look, I think the NFL needs more of that. You see that in college football all the time. How many teams put those things, that you, the urinal mats, of their arch rival in their locker room so that when you go to the can, you're doing your deal on the logo of your rival. That's more college stuff, high school stuff. I get it. But why don't you see more of that in the NFL? But you just very rarely see a mayor of a big city with an absolute shot across the bow of we need to make sure Joe Burrow takes a paternity test to prove that he's not Patrick Mahomes' father because Burrow's beaten him three times already and going for a 4-0 uh, on Sunday. You know who's been very quiet this week? Who hasn't said a word about any of this? Some Kansas City defensive players have talked about it. Chris Smith today. Addressing the Kansas City media said, we'll see at Burrowhead. So they're taking notes. A guy that's been very quiet is Patrick Mahomes. I just think he's letting all this marinate, and I just get a feeling Mahomes is going to play really well. Burrowhead this, Burrowhead that. Is Joe Burrow Patrick Mahomes' father? If Joe Burrow beats Patrick Mahomes, is he the best quarterback in the NFL? I've been guilty of saying that one this week. Not a peep from Mahomes, not one word. Everybody's talking about the ankle. Is he healthy? Yeah, he's going to play. Andy Reid confirmed that today. But I do, regardless of what happens on Sunday, this rivalry is not going away. Too much has been said. And, man, if Kansas City wins that game, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Same thing if Cincinnati wins the game. They've backed up everything they've said. Kansas City said a couple of things. I think Willie Gay was quoted as saying nothing about the Cincinnati offense impresses him. Jamar Chase gave a no comment to that remark this week. This was locker room talk. It was. They're talking. They're going back and forth, and I think it's great. If I wasn't fired up for Cincinnati and Kansas City because of the Jaguar factor and wishing the Jaguars were playing, 
this would have gotten me there, but I was already there, and now I'm there and then some. It's always good, Denmark, to get there and then some. That's never a bad thing. Never a bad thing. Don't let anybody ever tell you any different. If you get there and then some, brother, that's a good evening. And that's where I am right now about Cincinnati and Kansas City on Sunday. And I will go ahead and tell you, I've been going back and forth on this all night, all week. I could see it this way. I could see it that way. I think Kansas City is going to win the game. I do. I think Kansas City is going to win the game. So I think it's going to be the Andy Reid Super Bowl. That'll be all the talk for two weeks. I think it's going to be Eagles and Chiefs for the Super Bowl. What is it? Super Bowl 57? My word, 57. I am getting old in Arizona two weeks from Sunday. We will go to Cincinnati, though. We'll get their perspective. There is no doubt they've dominated Kansas City. They've won three in a row. Why has Cincinnati been so successful against the Chiefs? Jake Lisko, Locked On Bengals podcast coming up in less than 30 minutes. Coming up next, we will talk about the Jaguars. It will be painful not seeing them on Sunday. Does it still affect you, Jaguar fans? Have you gotten over it now almost a week later? A lot has transpired, a lot still to transpire. It will get easier as the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months. But we're over, uh, what, six days? It'll be a week tomorrow since the Jaguars lost. Has it gotten any easier or will it suck on Sunday knowing the Jaguars were that close to being in the AFC Championship game? Let's talk Jaguars. Let's do that with Mark Long of the Associated Press. We'll take a brief look back. We'll take a good look ahead at the offseason to come. That's next with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you on a Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. The Jaguar season has come to an end. A loss to Kansas City in the AFC Divisional Playoff. Let's take a look back and certainly take a look ahead at what's to come. It'll be a very interesting offseason here in Jacksonville. Let's do that with Mark Long of the Associated Press. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Mark, how we doing? I'm doing well, Hacker. Thanks for having me. Hey, Mark, always appreciate the time, man. I know you're busy. I know you were over here with uh, Doug Peterson, and as the players were leaving earlier today. And, uh, boy, you go back to Saturday, Mark, very similar to the regular season game, man. There were chances for the Jaguars. There were certainly opportunities there, and uh, they just were not able to cash in on those opportunities. Yeah, obviously when you're playing on the road and you're playing a team the quality of somebody like Kansas City, your margin for error is small, and I don't care who you are. You know, I don't care if you're the Pats or the Bengals or the Bills or the Jags. You have a small margin for error going on the road in the postseason against a team like that that's been there, done that, very experienced. And, you know, the Jags did exactly what you couldn't do. They, you know, they, they got off to a little bit of a slow start, even though it was 7-7, dug themselves a little bit of a hole later and – 
you know, and down the stretch, turn the ball over twice. And that's, that's the real, those were killers. You, a 98 yard drive to Chad Henney that should have been stopped by an interception or, or at least a third down play. And then, uh, you know, the Jamal Agnew fumble is just crushing. So those are the plays that you had to have go your way to come out with a win. And really you probably were gifted a little bit with the Patrick Mahomes injury. That one certainly went your way. And then when you get his backup on the field, Chad Henney, a guy we all know pretty well, when you know, you can't let the backup come in in cold like that, drive the team 98 yards, you know? And so those are the kind of things that'll, that'll doom anybody. And so, you know, you got to learn from them, got to move on. And, uh, I think it'll be an, a learning experience for everybody and certainly need something they'll build on moving forward. You know, Mark, it's interesting. I mean, you could argue really, what, 13 out of the last 14 years when the season's come to an end, it was almost a sigh of relief, right, for the players, the fans, the media, everybody involved. There's such a sense of, I would almost call it sadness, that the season has come to an end because Jaguar football was was made fun again in large part due to Doug Peterson I mean, can you put into words what Doug Peterson has meant to this organization this year? I mean, he's meant everything. He is the right guy at the right time. They were lucky to get him. It looked like they were headed in a different direction, and they ended up doubling back to Doug, and, and rightfully so. And I don't even think Shad Khan and Trent Baalke, I mean, they got it right, but I don't know that they even they knew how right they had it when they landed Doug Peterson, he was a guy who came in and understood right away that this is the team that had gotten burned last year from urban Meyer and they needed to heal. And then they got to work and, you know, he didn't grind them like some coaches in the past have, but he worked them hard. And then he eased up when he needed to, after he felt like all the hard work was in. And then he eased up a little bit down the stretch. And, you know, we saw that in OTAs. We saw it again in training camp. Uh, but he got a, got a lot out of him. He got him ready and then got a lot out of him and then watched him grow. And that was really his, probably his number one role. He kind of sat back, had the perfect demeanor for a young team in terms of, Hey, I understand they're going to make mistakes. We're going to grow week to week. Things aren't going to go right, but I'm going to be the same guy win, lose or draw. And when they went, Oh, and five in October, you know, everybody might have been panicking when they're two and six or then three and seven, but not Doug Peterson. He's like, listen, this is going to be a good team. We're heading in the right direction. We've got these, you know, we just got to f- learn how to win. And to the team's credit, probably, you know, a lot of veteran leadership, a lot of young guys kind of coming of age, they figured it out and um, really provided some dynamic wins down the stretch, probably a little more, uh, a little more suspense than fans and players really wanted. But uh, when you sit back and look at it, eight wins as underdogs this season, tied a modern NFL record, those huge comebacks against uh, the Raiders, the Cowboys, Tennessee even, and then certainly the dramatic one against the Chargers. I mean, it really was a little bit of a Cinderella storybook season for these Jags. And then they go in and nobody's giving them a chance against Kansas City. And they go in and, and I think they had a pretty admirable showing. So I think if anything, the result of this season is they are poised to at least be a factor moving forward. 
Yeah, if you were a season ticket holder here in Jacksonville, you got your money's worth here over the last six weeks. There is no question about that. Mark Long of the Associated Press. Mark, I'm sure you've seen the video, Trevor Lawrence after the game in the tunnel, greeting every teammate as they were coming off the field. I mean, the kid's 23 and doing that. And I think that'll be the lasting video and image I'll have going into the offseason. And uh, the excitement, I think, that the Jaguar fans need to have for who they have at quarterback is absolutely unbelievable. With the type of leadership that that showed, what he could potentially become moving forward, exciting times ahead here in Duval County. Yeah, he's everything you wanted. He is the generational quarterback. He's he's a few years behind Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and even Justin Herbert, but he's what you think, and even Josh Allen for that matter, but he's he's what those guys are he's going to be, or at least it looks like that's what he's going to be. And, you know, great leader, great dude, great guy on and off the field. He's exactly what you want to be the face of your franchise. We've had faces of franchises here before, and, you know, some of them were the guy you wanted for 10 years. Some of them were probably a little bit of a questionable pick. So he's not, you know, and he's only going to get better. And I think if you look at it, Hacker, from a standpoint of the coach and the GM looked at Trevor Lawrence going into this year and said, not only is he a rookie, they called him a rookie minus. So they really looked at him as being behind his rookie year because of what happened last year and the way that unfolded and really not only not progress, but regression made in his first year. And we all look back at that indie game, the season finale and thought, okay, this is the, that's the game, you know, that's the one to build on. But I think they looked at him and said, okay, now the body of work was, he still needed an overhaul. So they went back to the basics, overhauled this kid, and had really pretty low expectations. I don't think the expectations on Trevor were very high, especially when you looked at, you know, how he played during some early season games. But, I, you know, uh, he really caught fire, came around. And here's the crazy part. As well as he played, as you know, as good as he played against the Chargers and some other games on the stretch, he's got a ton of room for improvement. Uh, Doug was saying today, Doug Peterson was saying today, that it's really just some of the real – basic throws and catches are where they've got to get better. They've just got to get better. And I'm not talking about the deep balls or the contested catches or, you know, the ones on third and long, whatever, some of the placement. It's really just, you know, the one, the easy ones to the flat, the easy ones over the middle. Some of those that they're missing on time and time again, everybody knows what I'm talking about. But if you've watched the team play, that's where he, he wants to see the most growth in Trevor Lawrence next year, year three, but really is year two. So, and Doug said it today, you know, most guys make their biggest jump between year one and year two, and that's where Trevor is. He's, he's between year one and year two, at least when you're talking about with that same staff, the same offense, some continuity that he hasn't had in a few years now. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to his final year at Clemson, he's had three different head coaches and three different coordinators his last three football seasons and now finally he'll have the same coach the same coordinator the same group around him for two consecutive years a couple of more for Mark Long of the Associated Press all right uh boy free agency is going to be here in the blink of an eye about six weeks away I know offseason uh, workout program is in 12 weeks on April 17th Mark when the Jaguars come back let me throw a couple of names at you is Evan Ingram still a Jacksonville Jaguar 
Sure. I think either either they work out a long-term deal or they tag him. I think that's first and foremost their priority is to keep Evan Ingram in the fold, and they'll do it by either a long-term contract, and if they can't reach sides on the long-term contract, they'll franchise use the franchise tag on Evan Ingram and move forward and hope to maybe sign him a long-term deal like they did Cam Robinson after tagging him. But I don't think there's any question they're not going to let Evan Ingram get to free agency and they'd be stupid really to let him get there and he's the best pass catching tight end we've seen in jacksonville in franchise history and he's still really young still an ascending player and they've got to keep him in the fold i know you were at the doug peterson press conference earlier today my ears perked up a little bit when the question about Jawan taylor came up and how vital is the offensive line and doug goes well, how much do you like Trevor? Um, boy, you know, I, I was thinking Jawan Taylor might be out the door. I don't know after I heard that. Is Jawan Taylor more of a priority than maybe some of us thought? Yeah, I would put him at, at number two on the, on my list. I would have I have Evan Ingram number one, and I'd have Jawan Taylor number two. And the reason I say that is obviously he's a, he had a really good, good season, borderline great season for this team. Still, again, a young guy, a guy you drafted. You know, those are the guys you want to see get second contracts, the guys you drafted, the guys you've invested in. You start kicking those guys to the curb, and you're no better than the previous regimes. Resign the guys you drafted, the guys you've put four years into. Make those guys a priority, and I do think Juwan Taylor's a priority. Now, what's the cost? That's the question. And everybody wants to say, well, you know, we can just slide in Walker Little at left t- or right tackle – Cam will be back at left tackle. Well, that's fine. What happens if Cam has a setback? Okay, then what? Uh, what happens if Walker Little gets hurt? Then what? How about maybe you make Walker Little your left guard and see how Walker Little, Cam Robinson, and Jawan Taylor play? This franchise got to get got to stop thinking about. I'm talking about the fan base. Stop getting rid of good players. Jawan Taylor's a very good player. Played great this year. Let's see. You know. And if you think that maybe it was a contract year and he was playing for money, fine, good. That's probably some truth to that. But I want to actually believe that it was the scheme and the offensive line coach, Rosher, might have been a better fit for Jawan Taylor than the previous regime. And that's really what I believe is the case here, that you got an O-line coach in there who really gelled well with Jawan Taylor and his best football's ahead of him. So I would say the challenge will be to the Jags is try to keep Jawan Taylor and Walker Little would be a bonus. I mean, worst case scenario, Walker Little is another really high quality swing tackle in his third year who, you know, is in case of emergency, you know, break glass, you throw in Walker Little and you don't skip a beat. That's the worst case scenario. Best case scenario is he makes your O-line better by playing left guard or certainly just, just adding in depth. Final moments here with Mark Long of the Associated Press. I guess of the other guys, Arden Key would come to mind as maybe the third biggest priority. But that goes into what will they do defensively? And I've heard all sorts of things in the last 48 hours. How can you get Muma and Lloyd on the field together? Do they need to go to a conventional 4-3 because Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen are better as ends instead of outside linebackers dropping in coverage? All that stuff will be figured out. But Mark Long, in your opinion, what do they need to do on defense in that front seven moving forward? 
I don't need they I don't think they need really need to do a ton. I mean, you know, you look at what they did against the Chiefs, you look at what they did down the stretch in the second half of games. You know, I think they figured some things out. I don't know that I would go in there and make wholesale changes. I know what you're talking about, but I I think it's possible that Trayvon Walker's best position is as a three technique. And so maybe you let Roy Robertson Harris walk at, you know, 10 million, you let him walk and you take that money and you keep Juwan Taylor, you take that money and maybe you keep Arden key and Dwan smooth. Uh, but that I, I'm not so sure what they're going to do on defense. Obviously Shaquille Griffin's gone. That's going to save you. I think $14 million. I would be surprised if they bring back uh, Jamal Agnew only because you can't pay your number four receiver $5 million and he's close to $5 million against the cap. I think that's bad business. And you're upgrading, you think you're upgrading your offensive core there with Calvin Ridley. So you're going to probably take a downgrade at four and five from Jamal Agnew. Go find a, re- a return guy somewhere else. Go draft one or find a return guy on the street uh, a little bit cheaper. But if you made those three moves that I just said, if you did Shaq Griffin, Roy Robertson Harris, and Jamal Agnew, you probably then immediately have enough money to sign your draft class, bring back Evan Ingram, and bring back Juwan Taylor. Everything else, you know, works out. I don't know if you can do that and get Arden Key and or Smoot, but uh, maybe there's some other guys in there that, you know, I don't see as being high value, high money guys. But, uh, you know, if you do enough of those middle end guys, maybe you can get enough money to bring somebody else back. Mark, final thought. Obviously, we'll we'll talk this offseason as developments warrant down there. But when we're all convening for training camp, and it's the opening day of training camp 2023, and we look back on the 2022 season, what will be one or two of your, I guess, fondest memories of this team? Well, I think number one is the fight. I mean, this this team was, a, was never laid down, never gave up, never was woe is me. Uh, they really, really set the bar high in that regard that no matter what happens, no matter what kind of hole they dig for themselves, they can, they feel like they can get out of it. And when you have talent around Trevor Lawrence, that's always going to be the case. When you got a defense that uh, is able to get some takeaways, that's going to be the case. You got a pretty good kicker, a really good punter, maybe even borderline great punter, the best punter we've seen here in Jacksonville. Uh, you've got pieces. You, you've got all the pieces in place. Now, can you improve here and there? No doubt about it. But to me, that's the resiliency of this team is going to be number one. Two is the locker room. I've been doing this 25 years. Hacker, you've been doing it almost as long, maybe as long. And I've been 19 years here in Jacksonville. I've never seen a locker room like this one uh, in terms of a cohesiveness, not having bad guys, not having disgruntled guys. It is a rarity. We don't see it very often. Um, and, you know, I hope they'll be able to keep that going. I think they will. They don't have a lot of egos in that locker room. So that's number two. And then the head coach. I mean, you know, it's, just, it's very rare if you've seen that head coach quarterback cohesion that, you, you, you know, you read about it, you see it on other teams. We haven't seen it here in Jacksonville. Are you kidding me? David Garrard, Blaine Gabbert. Uh, I mean, people, people inside the building were trying to run those guys out of town. Uh, obviously Bortles, Minshew, Foles. I mean, all of those guys, we haven't seen that here. And so for the first time in 19 years, we really, really see uh, quarterback and GM, quarterback, GM, quarterback cohesion. And I think it ought to be celebrated. 
Mark Long of the Associated Press. Mark, always appreciate the time, man. Have a great offseason. Once free agency gets here, the draft will certainly have you back on to get your thoughts on how the offseason's going. But thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. No problem. Thanks for having me, Hacker. There you go. Mark Long of the Associated Press, always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. A lot of questions for the Jaguars. No question about that. And we'll start getting some answers probably sooner than you think. I mean, March 13th is free agency. I think the franchise tag deadline is like a week before that. So you're talking March 6th, right? I mean, what is today? January 27th. So six weeks, basically, is how long the Jaguars have to decide what they're going to do with Jawan Taylor, with Evan Ingram, with Arden Key. And there are other guys, Andrew Wingard, Adam Gostas, Corey Peters, Trey Herndon, Marvin Jones Jr., C.J. Bethard. A lot of guys that you will have to ultimately figure out what to do when unrestricted free agency hits in the middle of March. One thing that we know is that there is an AFC championship to be decided on Sunday evening. Is it Arrowhead? Is it Burrowhead? Well, you talk to people in Cincinnati, they think it's Burrowhead. Let's go to Cincinnati. Jake Lisko, Locked On Bengals podcast. What is it about Joe Burrow? Boy, he wiped the floor with the Buffalo Bills last week. He beat Kansas City in Arrowhead last year. Can they really do it again? Let's talk Bengals. Let's talk Chiefs. Jake Lisko, the Locked On Bengals podcast, is next. It is a Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now... Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The AFC championship game on Sunday, Cincinnati and Kansas City. Unfortunately, not the Jaguars, at least this year, but the Jaguars will see both the Chiefs and the Bengals in 2023. It should be a terrific game. Let's get a perspective from Cincinnati's side of things. With that, let's go to Jake Lisko, Locked on Bengals podcast. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jake, how we doing, man? Doing great. Back to the AFC Championship for two years in a row, which uh, as someone who's followed the Bengals for a long time is a welcome sight to see. Jake, uh, it was a dominating performance last week against Buffalo. Look, uh, maybe you survive Baltimore. The Ravens played you tough. And going into Buffalo, into the snow, people really didn't know what to expect. But my goodness, man, total domination. Uh, Were you caught off guard by that performance? Or is that something you kind of expected going in? I don't think I expected the game to go exactly how it went. And the things that surprised me, were how well the Bengals were able to run the ball and how much the Bengals were able to do on defense to throw Josh Allen off his game. I thought that the Bengals would be able to throw the ball on Buffalo. I thought that the passing offense would work. I thought that with three backup offensive linemen in there, despite the injuries on the Buffalo defensive line, they would be able to get some pressure. But overall, I thought the passing game would still work. The running game, though, 
being that efficient, that effective, able to close out the game in the second half pretty effectively was a bit of a surprise. And they really had Josh Allen seeing ghosts, I think, on the defensive side of the ball. They were able to get consistent pressure against, again, a bad offensive line in Buffalo. And to answer your question, I wasn't quite expecting it to go the way it went. I, I did think that they certainly had a shot in that game, but that level of domination, it'll be interesting looking back to see how much of it was potentially a Bills decline with injuries piling up and all these things and how much of it is. Actually, these Bengals are really good because I do think this is a really good football team. Well, I'll tell you, it didn't take Joe Burrow long to acknowledge the 50,000 tickets they had sold for the neutral site game in Atlanta. And uh, he said, hope you get those refunds. I mean, certainly it appears that was a motivating factor for Cincinnati going in. Yeah, and, you know, obviously the Bengals were selling tickets for a potential home game against Jacksonville had Jacksonville been able to beat the Chiefs last week. And that's just what ticket offices do. I think the Bengals took exception to the way the NFL was promoting it. Um, A lot of touting of, oh, yeah, we sold all these tickets for this game. And look, in the playoffs, you take motivation anywhere you get it. This is essentially what Zach Taylor said as well. When you get this late into the season, you, you look for ways to motivate your team. You scour the internet for ways to, to motivate your team, right? Whatever works, works. We all watched, maybe not all, but many of us watched the Michael Jordan documentary and saw him saying, I took that personally about a number of relatively innocuous things. This is a team that just a few weeks ago, drew motivation from Tom Brady saying they were a fairly good defense, which from Tom Brady is probably pretty innocuous, right? But when you have the opportunity to derive motivation from any source, if that helps you get over the edge competitively, you go for it. Jake Lisko, the Locked on Bengals podcast here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jake, you mentioned Zach Taylor. Uh, Here's a guy that went to the Super Bowl Last year is one game away from going back to another Super Bowl. We're very familiar with him because his little brother, Press Taylor, is the offensive coordinator here in Jacksonville. But man alive, uh, when you hired this guy a couple of years ago in your wildest dreams, did you imagine he would be this successful as the head man in Cincinnati? This is always the ideal outcome, right? It was something that when the Bengals hired Zach Taylor on Locked On Bengals, we said there could be growing pains here. We don't really know what Zach Taylor is. It could take him a little bit of time to figure things out. And that seems to have been the case. He obviously also got to draft Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. But the rest of the draft class was pretty successful as well. In both of those years, I think that Duke Tobin deserves a lot of success for finding guys like Logan Wilson, and T. Higgins, of course, and Joseph Osai, and all the free agent acquisitions that busted the Bengals out of years of not playing in free agency. But Zach Taylor himself is, I think, certainly endeared and locked in to be one of the most appreciated coaches of all time in Cincinnati sports, the way that he engages with the community, the way that he handled DeMar Hamlin's scary incident in Cincinnati in week 17 and the way that he's brought this team to massive playoff success in a way that many Bengals fans don't remember or have never seen. So 
the man, the way he engages with the community, the way he is as a coach, I think is an, an exceptional outcome. And we've seen this happen with his coordinators as well. The, the growth from the coaching staff this year specifically, their ability to adapt, their ability to change, the continuity they have, two of the longer tenured coordinators in the NFL at this point, Lou Anarumo and Brian Callahan, I think has accumulated in a really versatile, adaptable team. And that's been really important lately. The thing for Taylor that's a little frustrating, I imagine, for Bengals fans is last year he didn't get coach of the year consideration because the Bengals were kind of a, a middling team. And, you know, they end up in the Super Bowl. But in the regular season, they're seen as kind of an afterthought. Even though they win the AFC North, they, they're four seed and everyone's saying, oh, they got lucky to get to the Super Bowl. And this year, he doesn't get coach of the year consideration because they went to the Super Bowl last year and he kind of skipped that, you know, breakout stage that some of this year's coach of the year candidates are, are getting consideration for. So I do find that to be a, a bit ironic. Drake, we're running the clock back to September. You know, people in the AFC were talking about Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, which guy was the best quarterback in the AFC. Now, Joe Burrow was certainly in the conversation with the likes of Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson, but clearly Mahomes and Allen were the guys coming into the year despite the fact that Burrow went into the Super Bowl last year. And all Joe Burrow's done is just wipe the floor with Josh Allen last week. He already beat Mahomes once. He's 3-0 and against Mahomes as a starting quarterback in the National Football League. And if he beats Mahomes again on Sunday, to me there's no debate that Joe Burrow is the man when it comes to the National Football League as far as quarterback play, why has he been so good so early in his career? His mental processing, I think, is, for a young quarterback, pretty pretty dang incredible. The command he has at the line of scrimmage before the snap and getting the Bengals into and out of the correct play and out of the wrong play is a pretty magnificent skill set of his. I think that he's just really, really smart. That's the first part of it. The second part of it is he's playing with incredible timing right now. The ball is coming out exactly when it should be, and this has been the case for most of this 10-game winning streak, and it's going exactly where it needs to go. The third part of it is he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks I've ever seen, the fourth part of it is that he has the functional athleticism to make guys miss in the pocket, to be evasive, to extend plays when he needs to. And the part that goes hand in hand with that is that he's learned when he needs to extend the play and make a play and when he needs to channel his inner Tom Brady and take the check down and keep the offense on schedule. And he's balanced all of those things incredibly well this year making the right choice delivering the right ball to the right spot so often and when you're that efficient and making decisions well that consistently you see the sort of efficiency that you're getting with Joe Burrow this year and you know I'm not really into the whole tiering of quarterbacks or ranking of quarterbacks at some point but what I've seen from watching Joe Burrow and watching him on tape closely for the last 18, 19, 20 weeks or so is that he's played nearly perfect quarterback lately. 
it was a bit of a rocky start coming off that appendectomy missing training camp, but the guy's been on fire and playing quarterback at a really high level. And that's continued into the playoffs. Jake Lisko locked on Bengals podcast. Jake, as we begin to wrap up, look, it's hard to beat Kansas city. We obviously know that here in Jacksonville, they got us twice this year, including eliminating us last week. Yet Cincinnati has won three games in a row over Patrick Mahomes, including in Arrowhead last year at the AFC Championship game. Why have the Bengals been so successful against the Chiefs? I think there's a couple things. One, they don't back down from anyone. There's a swagger that they inherit from their quarterback. There's a calm that they inherit from their quarterback and their head coach. They're... Honestly, in some ways, out-coaching the Chiefs, which feels insane, right? Andy Reid, Steve Spagnuolo, two really good coaches. Eric Bieniemy, really good offensive coordinator as well, working under Andy Reid. But Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid haven't had consistent answers for what Lou Anarumo wants to do on defense for Mahomes. And this year, it was glaringly obvious in the regular season game the Chiefs were down. Some guys are missing Joe Tooney. They're missing Kadarius Tony in that game. But the the Bengals' defensive front had an excellent contain plan and executed it at a high level, keeping Patrick Mahomes in the pocket. Meanwhile, behind the front four for the Bengals, the, the secondary, the back seven, were doing a great job of mixing up looks and getting Mahomes to hold the ball. So you have this effect of, okay, you can't get out of the pocket, but also we're adding a half second of hesitation for Mahomes and him processing what he's seeing post-map, where we're flooding passing lanes by dropping eight from time to time. And, and that's been a consistent thing that the Bengals, more so than other teams, have had success with against Mahomes, even though other teams have tried to copy it. And so Lou Anarumo, I think, has come prepared for these games with excellent game plans. I think that that cannot be understated. And on the other side, You've just got a really high-level offense who's been able to take advantage of the way Steve Spagnuolo wants to play. And at this point, like I said, with the continuity they have on both sides of the ball, I mean, the Bengals have the same staff, effectively, that they had last year and earlier this year in these games. And so these teams at this point might as well be division rivals. Fourth game in two years. They know each other really well. And they've been close every time, too. I mean, the Chiefs have had chances to win these games. The Bengals have just finished a little bit better. And they've been a really good second-half defense all year. So those are some things that I'm looking at, the contain plan for Mahomes, especially with his ankle and how well is he going to be able to move if they can compress the pocket. And can they continue to get him to hesitate a little bit? And there's stats out there. I think Benjamin Solak on Wednesday morning had a, had a good follow-up stat that Mahomes is holding the ball an extra 0.3, 0.4 seconds against the Bengals than he is against any other team. You know, it's interesting, the fact that it's a night game at Arrowhead on Sunday, yet I think a lot of people expect Cincinnati to win the game and go back to the Super Bowl, and what an accomplishment that would be. Jake Lisko, the host of the Locked on Bengals podcast. Jake, I know you're busy this week, man. Appreciate the time. Thank you, as always. If Cincinnati were to win, we'd love to have you on to preview the Super Bowl in the next couple of weeks. Again, really appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
Yes, it is. End of the 9 o'clock hour. Glad you're with us. Hacker After Dark on a Friday, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge, talking about the National Basketball Association coming up at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. A couple of news tidbits out of the National Football League, one with a Georgia Bulldog flair to it. Reports out that Todd Munkin, the Bulldog offensive coordinator, is going to be interviewed in Tampa Bay for their open offensive coordinator position. We know Jim Bob Cooter, the passing game coordinator here in Jacksonville, already interviewed in Tampa. But the Buccaneers reportedly interested in talking to Todd Munkin, the OC at the University of Georgia. Uh, other NFL news and notes going on. Apparently, there's going to be a maybe a bidding war, but certainly it looks like Houston and Denver, the Texans and the Broncos, both very interested in the services of D'Amico Ryans being their next head coach. We told you last night here on Hacker After Dark that it appeared D'Amico Ryans was the leading candidate in Denver. Reports out today that D'Amico Ryans is also the leading candidate in Houston. Question is, if the money's the same, where do you want to go? Do you want Russell Wilson and that offense, but you also have to deal with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert for the next decade? Or do you want to come to the AFC South where you have a top five pick? In fact, you got two picks in the top 12 if you're Houston. You got salary cap room. I don't know. I think it might be closer than you than one may think. Denver's got the better roster. Does Houston have more upside? And, yeah, you got Trevor Lawrence in the division. But in the AFC West, you got Herbert and Mahomes, and you're going to have them there for a long time. So certainly something for D'Amico Ryans to think about. Also in Carolina, Frank Reich reportedly very interested in Vic Fangio coming on board to be his defensive coordinator, although nothing official has happened yet. So a lot of NFL news and rumors. Certainly those will continue to heat up as we get deeper in to the offseason. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge, talking about the National Basketball Association. They're both coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. As always, we're streaming for your viewing pleasure on YouTube. Just go to the 1010XL YouTube channel. You'll see Hacker After Dark there till 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see the show there until 10 o'clock this evening. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you, Brian Sexton next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. The Jaguar season has come to an end. A loss to Kansas City in the AFC Divisional Playoff. There is a lot to reflect on, but also... There is a lot to look forward to, and with that, let's welcome in a man that's been a big part of what we've done here on 1010XL the last couple of weeks. Certainly appreciate Brian Sexton. Brian, once again, thank you for the time, man. How are you? I'm good, Ryan. I'm happy to help. No worries whatsoever. All right, so not the circumstances you and I wanted. A loss to Kansas City ends the season. Brian, we got a lot to talk about, but about the game to begin with, your takeaways, to me, it was very similar to Week 10. Uh, opportunities there, but just couldn't cash in on them. Yeah, you know, and this football team, and, and we, I think they're the third youngest in football. We call them a young team. 
Uh, but in terms of playoff experience, they were they're certainly young. That was, you know, for most of them, their second game in the postseason. And the speed of the game, the intensity of it, the desperation, to use Trevor Lawrence's word, that players play with was, um, well, it was something they didn't handle all that well. You know, I mean, when the moment was there after Pat Mahomes left the game with the injury and the Jags travel or trail uh, 10 to 7, there's an opportunity there to go down and score and send a message. Okay, here we are. And instead, you had the tripping penalty on Walker Little, and then Little gave up the sack to Frank Clark, and you settled for no points whatsoever. You pin him on the two-yard line, and then Chad Henning, he's 37 years old, and I really like Chad, but, I mean, we know what Chad is. Well, they couldn't get him off the field. And that was the swing as far as I was concerned, and, and that was where a young team um, didn't understand what was at stake or didn't understand the magnitude of that second you know, the quarter moment there where they had an opportunity to do something dramatic and, and they let it pass them by. You know, Brian, but the way this team has been all year, they're down 27-17, and here we go. Third and 10, Trevor lowers the shoulder to get the first down, five and a half minutes to go, and you think, are they really going to do this again? And then Jamal Agnew trying to make a play and trying to switch arms and fumbles the ball, and that was pretty much that. But again, even after that, they come down and, get that field goal for an onside kick attempt, the team never stopped battling. And that's certainly something that I'll at least take away from this season. Well, Doug Peterson talked about that earlier today at, at his news conference and that this was a team that believed, even when they were losing and they were talking about close misses, you know, one-score games, they still believed in what the program was. They believed in one another and they believed that they would be able to compete with anybody on any given Sunday, which, again, is something we hadn't really seen a lot of from the Jaguars in recent years. Um, that belief level was there till the end. And, you know, look, it's, it's a young team. It's a talented team. Uh, when Jamal lost that ball, I mean, again, that's understanding the magnitude of the moment. He's trying to fight for an extra yard and get the play, but you still have more than six minutes left. Hold on. Let's not take crazy chances and put ourselves in a position here. Let's let's make sure we take care of the ball and live to fight another play. You know, those are things that young teams need to learn in the playoffs, and I'm sure they'll be better for it. But this is not a team at any point this season that we didn't feel was getting better, Ryan. I mean, week to week. Yeah, all right. Here's a turnover. Yeah, there's a penalty. We're still kind of shooting ourselves in the foot with some of the same mistakes. But week to week, you're like, yeah, but they're close. They're getting there. Well, Close doesn't it doesn't have the same definition in the in the playoffs at Arrowhead Stadium against a team that was hosting that divisional game for the fifth straight year and is now hosting the AFC championship game for the fifth straight year. Um let me just put this in perspective for you. Pat Mahomes, other than the Super Bowl, has never played a playoff game outside the confines of Arrowhead Stadium. So I mean that's a big dragon you're going to slay. Uh, they just weren't up to it. Brian, there's a video, again, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. There's a video that made the round Saturday night of Trevor Lawrence meeting almost every teammate that passed by him in the tunnel, slapping them on the helmet, you know, consoling them, if you will. Uh, boy, I thought that was a powerful video, and that's something that'll really stick with me as we head into the offseason. You know, Ryan, I'll never forget on our drive time show the week before the season opener in 2020. We did this little whiteboard segment, and my take was tank for Trevor. Oh, the hate I got for that. You're a loser. Loser mentality. Go away. 
But the reality of it was, was I and, and you and, and anybody that understands football and the game's most important position identified Trevor Lawrence as a talent worthy of losing every game in 2024, every single one. None of those people that wanted to argue about it then would argue about it now. He is an elite talent, and he is an incredible prospect. The guy who gets it, who understands the right things to say after 14 losses as a rookie when the coach has been fired, and it's all falling out my part around him, and he stood there after every game, him, and answered the questions. And then this year when things were going rough, you saw the benefit of that. For him to stand there and to do what he did – that is the elite John Elway, Joe Montana kind of stuff. He was worth losing 15 straight games for because for the next 15 years, he's going to be the guy in this town. He's going to be the guy that takes you back to that level and gets you through it and on towards the Super Bowl. The guy's just – there aren't enough adjectives to describe how good a player and how good a leader and person he is. But if you were in that locker room today like I was and a lot of the Jacksonville media was and you saw the way that he handled himself both with us and with his teammates, you're like, this guy is unbelievable. He is really good, really good, Ryan, and only getting better. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, I'm going to look ahead to the offseason, but you just talked about Trevor. Now let's talk about Doug. Year number one in the books for Doug Peterson, I mean, what can you say about this guy and the, the impact he had on the organization, on the city? He made football in Jacksonville fun again, and, and I think people are a lot like me, a lot like you, cannot wait for 2023 in large part to what Doug Peterson brought here this year. You know, I told my wife when I walked in this afternoon, she asked how my day was, and I said, it's so nice to work with a professional football coach because even something like checkout day, as messy as that can be with players having a team meeting, individual meetings with their coaches, cleaning out their lockers, getting friends and teammates to sign things, it went so smoothly. I mean, everything ran on time. Everyone from a media perspective got what they needed. It was just a professional football experience. And it was from the first day of minicamp last year, Ryan, I know you know what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to smell like, and it did. From the first day to the last, we went from, you know, the college coach and all that college crap. Sorry if you're a college football fan. It doesn't equate. These are men. This is professional football. And the guy before tried to run it like a, a rah-rah college program. Well, that doesn't work. Now you bring in a true professional football coach, and the organization goes from being a laughingstock, which it was, to being a professional organization that is now considered to be a rising, ascending, contending franchise. Well, that's Doug Peterson. That's his stamp. The owner couldn't put his stamp on that. The owner can just hire the right guy. The general manager can't put his stamp on it like Doug can. He's supposed to bring the players in. The head coach is the face of the franchise. He sets the tempo of the franchise. Now, are there other people who could do as good a job? I'm sure there are. But nobody that I know of could do what Doug Peterson did this year with this mess that he had to inherit. If you've read his book, Fearless, and if you haven't, I recommend it highly. I knew when I read the book they had the right guy. And now as I sit here talking to you, 
I'm even more convinced of it. A professional football coach through and through. You know, I get the sense, too, whether you're a member of the media, a fan here in the city of Jacksonville, look, for the better part of the last 15 years, when the final day was here and the season came to an end, there was a sense of relief. You know, we don't have to deal with that anymore. Today, there's a sense of sadness that the season came to an end. But also, with that, Brian, I've had more people text me today asking when the off-season program begins, when season tickets. April 17th. Yeah, exactly. When season tickets go on sale. You know, the excitement that we're going to have for the next six and a half months leading in to the preseason next year, I think is going to be unlike anything we have seen in quite some time. You know, for my friends in the front office who who sell, whether it's tickets or advertisements or signs or, you know, they have worked their butts off for years, you know, selling against the wind with a losing team. Good for them. You know, good for the organization to be able to have something that's easy to sell at this point. And, I, you know, Ryan, I'm not going to say that it's like turning on the order, the fax machine and taking orders. Um, but I'm telling you, it, the whole experience of the franchise gets better from a front office perspective, from a fan's perspective. You know, now you're unleashing this organization to go out and create a better game day experience. Why? Well, because they're not so focused on selling every last ticket and trying to get there. Um, I just, this whole thing lifts the franchise up and makes everything around it better. And it, I guess it doesn't have to be that way. I just have a lot of confidence in what Trent Bulky and Doug Peterson will do uh, on the field to make everything off the field better. I, I'm excited to get out to the Rotary Clubs and to the, Saturday night galas that I'll be at. And instead of having to work the crowd to get people, you know, hey, maybe there is something to be excited about. I I won't have to say a word. The questions will come. I'll just start answering them. It'll be so much easier for me um, and a whole lot more fun, too. A couple more for Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. April 17th, 12 weeks from today. Uh, the free agents to be. Look, we don't know what the future holds, but based on what Doug Peterson said today, based on what the individual players said today, uh, the big ones referring to Jawan Taylor, Evan Ingram, Arden Key, it appears the Jaguars would like those three guys to be in the future plans, and we'll have to see how the finances play themselves out. Yeah, as they sit right now, they're roughly $20 million over the cap, but 13 and a half of that's coming off when you let Shaq Griffin go. Um, so, you know, they'll, they'll, here's what we know. The television money kicks in after 2023, right? So not this season, but next season, it takes a big jump forward. And the Jaguars are in incredible cap shape from 2024 forward. They're tight against it this year because they were smart, because they were fiscally responsible and they claimed the cash they paid in the year that they paid it. And so they didn't push money out like people do with credit cards. They are in a great space. That being said, they have the flexibility to go in there now and push some money out to keep players they want to keep. I know, and look, I love Evan Ingram. As a person and as a player, he's phenomenal. He wants to be here. I think they'll get something done. I want Juwan Taylor back. I want him back at right tackle, which for me is saying something because I was beating the drum the last year that he's a guy who could move inside, and I think an all-pro guard. Um, but man, did he play so well at tackle and you just can't let good players go. These are guys that are Jaguars. These are guys that you've developed now as he's starting to find his stride, you're going to let him go. Uh, I don't think so. No way. You got two more years with Walker little on his rookie contract. 
I'm going to find a way to make sure I make that one happen. And I think Doug made it pretty clear that Juwan Taylor is high on his priority list. What is Calvin Ridley, Brian, going to add to this team, assuming he's 75% or more the player he was before he left? You know, he's that guy who grabs everyone's attention, Um, that alpha receiver that safeties have to know, okay, the coverage is rolling this way because there aren't many corners as big as he is. And he's a guy that will impose his will down the field. I had somebody tell me that when he was on in his last season, full season of playing, which is what, 19? Um, before the, the suspension, maybe it was 20, uh, that he was top three in terms of separation, right? With his size, with his length, with his leaping ability, he's a guy that is open even when it doesn't appear that he's open, which means that someone's got to run with him, someone's got to be over the top, and that'll open up things underneath. Zay Jones has the speed, so you're going to have to have a corner on him. You're going to get mismatches with guys like Ingram and Kirk. It w- what it will do is it will supercharge the passing game. It will take it from being good with the potential to be better and turn it into a great passing offense. And I'm, I say great like that so confidently because of my, you know, what I saw this year from the quarterback, but also the head coach and, and, and the offensive system, the brain trust of Press Taylor, Jim Bob Cooter and Mike McCoy. I, look, they'll dial this thing in and with a guy like Ridley. And again, we hope you know, to hear something about him shortly after the Super Bowl, you know, mid-February, he can apply for reinstatement. Um, you know, the word from people who are around him is that he's been working out. He's in great shape. I think he puts his feet on the ground with something to prove with a football team that has something to prove. Um, I, 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 the more I look at it, I think that was a really shrewd move by Trent Baalke. Yeah. The idea of Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, and Travis Etienne with Trevor Lawrence. Oh boy. That could be something. Final moments, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, we'll have you on this offseason, certainly, but when we all reconvene in July, the opening of training camp, and we're standing out there and we're reminiscing about the 2022 season, what are the one or two things that you'll remember most? I'm going to remember the, the way that the switch flipped at the Raiders game, right? After the team came back from London 2-6, and they fell down 17 to nothing. And the quarterback, all of a sudden, it was as if somebody said, hey, you know, you're supposed to be the star here. Go out and show us. And he battled them back from down 17-0. I think it was 17-10 at the half. They took the lead. They never, never even looked back and went on to win that game convincingly. Uh, We knew Kansas City was going to be tough. They come back and they do the exact same thing to the Ravens. And then, you know, we knew that the Lions was going to be tough. They come back and do the exact same thing to the Titans and the exact same thing to the Cowboys. It it was as if the switch flipped and it was like, okay, we can do this. Now let's go and do it. Um, It was a fun season to to watch. And, And look, what made it fun? Well, the agony of those five losses made every win down the stretch that much more intense. So, you know, I mean, it's the yin and the yang, right? The light and the dark. You need both to be able to con compare and contrast those losses helped make those wins that much sweeter brian sexton jaguars.com brian again appreciate you the last four weeks and really a lot before that you've joined us a lot this year my friend thank you we will certainly talk as developments warrant with the team and it will not be long until off-season workouts commence and we'll do this thing all over again thank you very much ryan thanks for having me i enjoyed it
Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. It is hard to believe that we are well over the halfway point of the NBA regular season. In fact, the trade deadline not too far away, the All-Star break not too far away. Let's look around the National Basketball Association with Zach Hanshu. He covers the NBA for NBC Sports Edge, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zach, how we doing, man? Doing good, man. How about yourself? Zach, we are good. Thank you for the time. And let's begin with the uh, team closest to us down in Orlando, the Magic. Certainly not the win-loss record they want, but finally they all appear to be healthy. Jonathan Isaac back in the fold for the first time in two years. And the Magic have put together a couple of nice wins recently, including beating Boston earlier this week for the third time this season. Zach, what's been your thought on the Magic so far this year? Yeah, I, I think it's funny just that they've had Boston's number this entire season. Um, I, I mean, Orlando, obviously, uh, you know, 13th in the standings, Boston all the way up at the top. But, you know, every time, the last, you know, three times they faced, Orlando has come out on top. Um, so I think that's very interesting. Uh, and I think it's interesting just how competitive Orlando has played, right? So, I mean, 18 and 29 record, I don't think fully gives you the entire picture uh, of just how well the team has played together. Uh, Bancaro has been great, obviously, as a number one pick. And then, as you mentioned, Jonathan Isaac, we haven't seen him since that, uh, you know, the uh, Mickey Mouse bubble games, right? So August of 2020, two and a half years. Uh, came back last night, 10 points, three rebounds, a couple of triples, a couple of steals in just 10 minutes. Uh, I mean, he looked great, right? You couldn't have really have asked for a better return for Isaac, even in just 10 minutes. He looked great. Zach, being an Orlando Magic fan, I'll be honest, at the beginning part of this year when they had five and six and seven guys out with a muscle strain or calf tightness, you're thinking, all right, what are they doing? Right. I mean, are we... We got a full-blown tank going on here, but they now appear to be healthy. And like you said, I mean, 13th in the East, it is what it is. But it's clear, based on the Boston game earlier this week, that when that team's healthy, they can play with some teams in this league. They absolutely can play with some teams in this league. Um, and, and I don't think they're as far away from being a uh, you know a playoff competitor uh, as some of these other teams around them, such as, uh, you know, maybe a Charlotte, uh, a Detroit, uh, even a Washington, who's kind of started to fall off here. Uh, I think Orlando has one of the best young cores in basketball. Uh, they're just not quite there yet. Quickly on Paolo Bancaro, I think Franz Wagner is a future all-star as well, but Bancaro mm -hmm. being the number one overall pick, I mean, he's a stud, right? I mean, that the magic nailed that out of the park. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, there was a lot of talk about Jabari Smith. Uh, there was some talk about Chet Holmgren. Uh, and obviously, Orlando just knew exactly what they were doing because Bancaro has looked every bit the part of a number one pick. Uh, he's he's runaway favorite, uh, in my opinion, for rookie of the year right now. Um, and honestly, he's been in he's been in the all star chatter already, too. I mean, this is a very talented Eastern Conference, especially. Uh, you know, with your front court players. So I, I don't think he'll make an all-star selection this year. Um, but just the fact that he's been mentioned uh, as an all-star, as a rookie, is uh, says a lot about how well he's played. Zach Hanchu, NBC Sports Edge, covering the National Basketball Association. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zach, when we look at the Eastern Conference as a whole, 
Boston on top, a four-game lead over Philadelphia. Certainly Milwaukee in the mix, Brooklyn in the mix. How would you assess the East as we're about 50 games into the year? Yeah, I think Boston is is going to be your clear favorite to come out of the Eastern Conference, um, especially if everybody can stay healthy. Obviously, they're dealing with some injuries right now. Marcus Smart, Robert Williams. Uh, but if they can have all their guys healthy uh, going into the playoffs, I think they should be the favorite. Um, I, I think Philadelphia, they're on a five-game win streak right now. Um, obviously, Joel Embiid's been a bit banged up, but, uh, I mean, that's kind of par for the course with him. Uh, I think they've looked great this year, uh, getting a full season with Harden and B, Tyrese Maxey. Those guys, uh, you know, they're starting to come together. Um, we just need to see what they can do if they can all stay healthy for an extended stretch. Um, Milwaukee, obviously, they're 30 and 17. They're, they're a few games, they're about five games out of first place uh, from Boston. Um, and they haven't looked quite as good as I expected from them this year. They were, uh, they were who I picked to come out of the East, and they've, they've disappointed me a bit. Uh, but again, they've missed Chris Middleton for most of the season. Um, so if he can stay healthy, I think he'll be a key for them uh, heading into the playoffs. And then obviously Brooklyn, uh, they're going to go as KD goes. Uh, Kyrie Irving has never been uh, true number one on his own to lead a team. Uh, and he needs that other superstar alongside him. We saw it, you know, when he was with LeBron James and after he left LeBron. So I think if KD comes back healthy, Brooklyn uh, is obviously going to be in the mix to come out of the East as well. Zach, there's certainly a following for Chicago down here, mainly because of Billy Donovan from his time at Florida. I'm following mm -hmm. because Orlando owns their number one pick. It's top four protected, but assuming it's not in the top four, the Magic get that. They're playing well, uh, better at least, 22 and 24. But with all that talent, with Vucevic and DeRozan and, you know, go on down the line, uh, you know, the fact that they're under 500, almost 50 games in, they got to be considered one of the bigger disappointments to this point, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I know some of the heats off temporarily. They've won three in a row, but yeah, being 22 and 24, you're the 10th seed in the East uh, and the Eastern conference. I mean, let's be honest, has not been a, as strong uh, middle of the pack and below as it usually is. I mean, we have your top three and four teams, your Milwaukee's, your Brooklyn's, your Boston's, uh, but down towards the middle of the pack and below, I mean, Indiana was making a run earlier in the season. They're banged up. Uh, Atlanta's disappointing. New York's disappointing. Miami's been banged up. Uh, so this is they've had chances to really climb the standings here this year. And it's been a huge disappointment. You have DeRozan, you have Booch, um, you know, you have Zach Levine, who kind of started the season slow and has been coming on recently. Um, so absolutely. Uh, and, and it's no surprise that they've been mentioned, um, you know, among teams that could be sellers at the trade deadline. Um, obviously blowing it up is easier said than done, but uh, it wouldn't be surprising to see them make some moves here by February 9th. The fact that Orlando ended up with Wendell Carter, Franz Wagner, and a first this year for Vucevic, Orlando won that trade, correct? They, they won that trade in a landslide, in my opinion, um, especially because Wendell Carter, now that he's been, obviously he missed some time, you know, in the middle of the season here. Uh, but when he's been healthy and available, I mean, you're getting double doubles. You're getting a, a big man that can step out and shoot a three. Sometimes a guy that can play interior defense. Uh, that's been a huge win for Orlando. I think they knocked that one out of the park. A couple of more for Zach Hanchu of NBC sports edge covering the national basketball association. Zach, if the playoffs started today, 
the Lakers would not be in it in the Western Conference. They're playing better. They're only a game out of the play-in, so certainly they've turned things around. We saw them make one trade earlier this week. What, if anything, do you expect the Lakers to do before the deadline? I would expect them to try to make as many moves as possible. Um, so as you alluded to, yeah, they, they uh, added Rui Hachimura from uh, the Wizards, uh, former number nine overall pick out of Gonzaga. And, you know, obviously we've seen what he can do here over the past, you know, maybe three to four weeks uh, with guys like Gafford and Kristaps uh, Porzingis maybe being a little bit banged up, Bradley Beal missing some time. Uh, and Hachimura stepping up, and he's a guy that can average 20 to 25 points a night uh, if he's given significant role player minutes, and I think that's exactly what the Lakers will do. Um, they gave up a couple of picks and Kendrick Nunn, so I, I think that was uh, that was a fleece on the part of the Lakers. I think that was a huge move for them, um, and, and it's just definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, we saw earlier when Anthony Davis was actually healthy and he was playing like prime New Orleans Pelicans Anthony Davis that they were winning games. Uh, so I think it's very intriguing here in the Western Conference. You have your 13 seed Blazers. They are two and a half games out of the fifth seed from the Mavericks. So it is it is wide open in the West. Uh, this is definitely not a funeral for the Lakers right now. I think they could certainly sneak into the playoffs. Yeah, it's crazy, the parity in the West. Golden State would be the last team in the play-in. They're the 10 seed right now. Did, I mean, I guess they survived Steph Curry's injury. He's back, but they don't seem to be playing a whole lot better. And they're fascinating how good they are at home and how awful they are on the road. It's been wild just to see that disparity. I mean, they've been god awful on the road. Um, they had that, you know, that home court advantage earlier in the season, uh, but they've now lost four straight at home, uh, and and it hasn't even been to uh, to winning teams either. I mean, they've uh, no offense to your Magic, but they lost to the Magic at home. They lost to the Pistons at home. Uh, they just recently their last game lost to uh, the Brooklyn Nets without Kevin Durant. Uh, so, I mean, if they don't even have that home court advantage, I, I really don't see how they can be uh, a playoff contender, a championship contender. Um, I know when you have a team that can shoot threes like that, you do have that puncher's chance, but you, you can't rely on that every night. And especially if you're the 10th seed now, uh, if you don't start really climbing the standing soon, you're going to have to play more games on the road than you are at home, and, and that's going to be disastrous for them. Yeah, crazy stat. Orlando is 5-0 and against Boston and Golden State. Go figure. Uh, unbelievable. Hey, Zach, as we begin to wrap up, look at the top of the Western Conference. I love Memphis. Love everything about them. I don't believe in Denver yet. They're going to have to win in the playoffs to make me a believer. But how would you assess the West at the top there? Yeah, um, uh, just a quick shout out to Sacramento. They're the three seed right now. They've been, I mean, they've been lighting the beam like crazy this year. I think it's it's fantastic to see what they've been able to accomplish this year just by adding, you know, big man in Sabonis. We get a full year of him after you know getting that trade from uh, the Pacers. Um, they added some shooting in Kevin Herter, Malik Monk. It's just been a big time for them. Um, but, yeah, Memphis Grizzlies, uh, obviously, they're one of the most fun teams in the NBA to watch. I think they're going to make some noise this year for sure. Uh, I really – I think the Pelicans hanging strong at number four. Uh, they were the number one seed uh, earlier in the season before they just got obliterated with injuries. Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. 
but to me, they're one of the most talented rosters top to bottom in the NBA. Uh, and I think come playoff time, they're not going to be somebody that anybody wants to face. Uh, and the Denver Nuggets, I agree with you. I, I love to see what they're doing right now. Their home court advantage has been one of the best, if not the best, in basketball. Uh, I think they're 19-3 and three or 19-4 and four at home, something like that. Uh, and they're sitting at the top right now. So I think they're going to cause a lot of problems as well. Hey, Zach, final question. Uh, look, the trade deadline is a few weeks away. Who are the biggest one <laughs> or two names that could – realistically be dealt are there any all-star caliber guys that could realistically be on the move here in the next few weeks man it, it's tough to it's tough to imagine uh, you know big name all-stars getting traded at the deadline um, I, I know there's been a lot of rumors going around um, the name that I would think would make a lot of sense uh, all-star caliber maybe not an all-star player but uh, Kyle Kuzma I think uh, he's having the best season he's ever had for Washington um, and, and to me, uh, you know, he's set to become a free agent. They haven't uh, extended him yet. Um, you know, he's been I think his trade value is probably higher than it ever will be. Obviously, they just traded Hachimura. Um, you know, could they maybe be selling Kyle Kuzma? Uh, because at this point with Washington, even with Kuzma at his best, uh, even when Bradley Beal is back in the lineup, when Porzingis is playing well, uh, this is still not a championship contending team. And, you know, are they going to want to sit with that roster of being a, you know, six to eight seed every season, or are they going to want to try to get the most out of Kyle Kuzma? Um, and, and I think maybe he could be a name that's, uh, that's on the move. Zach Hanchu of NBC Sports Edge covering the National Basketball Association. Zach, always appreciate the time here in Jacksonville. Thank you very much, brother. We'll talk again soon. Appreciate you having me, man. Thank you. And there you go. Thank you to Zach Hanchu, NBC Sports Edge, uh, covering the National Basketball Association for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Yeah, it is certainly hard to believe that we are basically 50 games in for most NBA teams and uh, the All-Star break right around the corner, the trade deadline right around the corner as the NBA season just plugs along here in the end of January and uh, the playoffs, not that far away there in the association. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy week here on Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight on a Friday. Again, Zach Hanshu of NBC Sports Edge. Thank you to Jake Lizko, the Locked On Bengals podcast, for joining us tonight to preview the AFC Championship game on Sunday between Cincinnati and Kansas City. Thank you to Mark Long of the Associated Press and Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com, who both joined us this week as well here on Hacker After Dark. We will be back on a Monday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. I will tell you that in Championship Sunday, I'm going to take Kansas City. I know Cincinnati's the trendy pick, and uh, I might be wrong about this, but I just got a feeling that Kansas City may circle the wagons a little bit. I will take the Chiefs, and I will take the Philadelphia Eagles. I will take both home teams on Sunday, both to win and both to head to Arizona for the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Friday evening with us 
right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific weekend, and we will do it all over again Monday night beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.